Welcome back to Revolutionary Health, the show that focuses on Black gay men's health and wellness. Thank you again for being here and experiencing this with us as we continue our COVID-19 check-ins to make sure that everyone out there is all right. I'm Michael Ward, but as always, follow our social media on Twitter at Building Desire. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Counter Narrative. And this week we have Dr. Damian Denson, a friend to the show that is back with us as well to bring to forefront Albany, Georgia. We talk so much on this show about Atlanta, Georgia, and a lot of our work focuses on Atlanta. And we don't want to forget that there are other people out there um, as well that are going through COVID-19. So I wanted to just let you introduce yourself a little bit, Dr. Damien Denson. So glad to have you here and let the people know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Uh, again, I'm Damien Denson. I'm a public health scientist, and I currently reside in Atlanta, Georgia, but I was born and raised in Albany, Georgia, which is in southwest Georgia, about uh, two and a half, three hours from Atlanta. Good. And so we wanted to bring you in to talk about uh, what's going on in Albany, Georgia right now, because I know you have a personal connection um, to yeah. Albany and how it's affecting you, how it's affecting your personal, professional relationships um, in Albany. Yeah, so um, around February, uh, my mom was texting me, asking me about coronavirus because she had been watching the news and hearing about it. And at the time, um, because I worked in public health and at uh, a federal agency that covers infectious disease, I downplayed it because it was like bird flu, swine flu, all the other illnesses that come out and it's being forewarned in the media. Um, but soon after, I saw the emergence and the importance of it. And at that time, I thought that a rural city like Albany, Georgia, um, would still be relatively fine. And I was actually more concerned about me living in Atlanta. And I was telling my mom that if things got out of control in Atlanta, I would come home to Albany and hide out for a little bit. But um, as the news has been reporting, a lot of major networks, New York Times, The New Yorker, um, epidemiologically, Albany is one of the top five cities that has been affected by um, the coronavirus and COVID-19 across the country. Um, and that's based on population ratio and the number of cases and the number of deaths. So that was alarming, surprising, shocking, and I would have never expected it. Um, and soon around that time, um, people who are close to my family um, started to get ill. People within my family passed away. Um, and my mother and father are both uh, from Albany, Georgia, and now it's affected both sides of the family. Um, and people are just afraid. Um, that's the best way to put it. It's fear. Um, it's the unknown. Um, and in some cases, still at risk because they just don't understand what's happening and why it's happening. And um, there's been a lot of cousins and, and things in the family that are still putting themselves at risk, which is unfortunate, but that's the reality as well. Well, thank you. And I, I definitely send my condolences and love to you as well for uh, yeah. and things like that that you've experienced. And you and I have that yeah. uh, connection to Albany. Uh, one of my best friends is uh, from Albany, Georgia, and it's the same for her. And to me, I never realized as well, like Albany pretty much is a hot spot. Um, she called yeah. me last week and her and I were having a discussion about one of her family members who's relatively young, 20, 27, 
in, in you know in the twenties that just passed away from COVID nineteen, and it just yeah. kind of got me to thinking as well too. We hear so much in the news about older people are affected, yeah. then younger people are affected, where it's pretty much we just don't know uh, what's going on, yeah. and that kind of brought it to my eyes that I'm like 27, relatively young and gone. And her yeah. parents as well had tested positive for COVID-19 yeah. and they were able to fight it off and beat it. And, you know, she's in her twenties and passed away. And I was like, yeah. wow, like the things that we're hearing, of course, you know, change on a day-to-day -day basis. But I know with um, yeah. AJC, um, one of the things that they reported too is that in Albany, the, the main hospital is so overrun with sick and dying uh, patients yeah. and they may not have enough equipment. I mean, from the things that you've been saying and hearing, how do you think that Albany is going to prepare themselves and continue to move forward with these cases? Um, that's a great question. I mean, the the region is, I use the word monopolized, that might be controversial, but there is one hospital system in that region that takes care of all of Southwest Georgia. And it, it being a rural community, um, if you get sick with some emergent, like serious disease, the first place to go is to Albany. And then if Albany can't handle it, you're taking up here to Atlanta. So um, those are the facts. And when you have one hospital system and a disease like COVID-19 that overwhelms the emergency department and the ICUs, then that affects everything else, and it's like a disaster. And that has a lot to do with why I think um, the burden on the healthcare system, as well as uh, a virus that's as infectious as coronavirus combining together, will just cripple any system. And it's and it's it's really uh, an alarm for our country and our rural areas. And if this, this virus and what it's doing is just shining a light on how inadequate our healthcare system is in general. Yeah. Right, right, because I think for the most part, um, as I've been hearing more and learning more about this, we see the inequalities uh, more and more. And I'm glad that it's being brought to the forefront, how it affects black folks, how we're, you know, uh, fighting racism, how we're trying to get treated, yeah. how we're trying to get care. And as I said in another episode, I hope when we come out on the other side of this that we don't once again just let this go by the wayside where we're saying Black people yeah. are being affected at higher rates and things like that. And we don't do anything about it. We just turn a blind yeah. eye to this. So as far as yourself and your family, <clears throat> what are ways that they can stay protect themselves in a, in a rural situation. Because as you said, if they have to come to Atlanta, that's a metropolis and even more yeah. people, you know, here, how would they be able to protect themselves and take measures to, yeah. you know, help their family? Well, it's, it, if there are any silver linings, one is that I've been able to have conversations with my family about public health and what I actually do for a living. Mm -hmm. And in those conversations, I'm able to educate them on infectious disease and what that really means and what a virus is and what a contagion is and what does it mean that the coronavirus uh, can be aerosol, but droplets cause you to need to wash your hands on mm -hmm. a regular basis, those types of things. So I've been able to have those conversations and educate people um, I think the challenge has been um, 
the elimination of some personal freedoms. I think when the federal government is instituting and local governments are instituting uh, quarantines and curfews and things like that, people rightfully so question and see, see those things happening. And that takes a level of, um, I don't know how to put it, but when the government is telling you to sit down, you immediately want to question why the government is telling you to sit down. And mm -hmm. then that justifiably, the questioning is justifiable, but at the end of the day, it is about your risk and you do things to maintain your personal freedoms that in turn still put you in risk. So that, that has been more challenging in talking to particularly my younger cousins um, about personal freedoms and the fact that they may feel like they are safe doing the things that they have been doing, but they're putting our older aunties and uncles and grandmas at risk uh, by doing those types of things. But then, as we know, like you said, even the young of us are mm -hmm. still um, likely to have severe illness as well. So, I mean, other than that, um, it's been also allowing people to understand that they need to be patient with the, a virus like this running its course. So, yes, spring is canceled. There's mm. nothing we can do about it. It's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so let's be hopeful that we may have a summer. Like, if we do, then, then that's the time. But then there's also the warning that this isn't over. Because now this virus has been introduced into um, humanity, to be honest. So it will always be. So just because we get through this phase of its initial um, herd immunity, as if, to use like public health terms, is going through uh, the community, it will always be here. And now for the future, we will always have to be concerned and worried about it. And that's why vaccines and treatments and all those other things are more important. Um, for the future rather than this immediate time. Yeah, and honestly, I saw something on social media. Um, I forgot who said it, but thank you so much for saying it. If I find if I find it again, I'll give you credit. But um, I saw on social media, somebody was saying like, for all of those people who wonder why I got a public health degree, this is the reason why, because right. people, people like you are out here every day interpreting the numbers, interpreting the data, finding out myths, finding out things that are factual. How, how as a public health professional, um, in your own experience, like you say, that you talk to your friends and your family, but how are you separating what's fact, what's fiction? Because we're learning new stuff every day as yeah. this thing comes out, you know? Yeah, so um, that's hard, to be honest, because science is in a phase of discovery as well. So there is fact and fiction, there's trial and error. That's the way science works. So what we think we know, we may not know after tests and doing all of these different things, but that is what emergent infection disease is about. Um, unfortunately, you have entities that take advantage of the unknown and the crisis and the fear and do things to misinform on purpose for whatever evils that that is about. But I think this is our, for our, in our lifetime, this is our first time, aside from the AIDS epidemic, which I don't want to do a direct comparison, but this is our lifetime, our first time seeing something like this affect humanity. 
Um, and I think the last bird, like bird flu or something in the 19, early 1900s was the other time. But if we look at history, this is how this manifests. And science catches up eventually. But in the meantime, there's a lot of death, a lot of loss. But eventually we get through the hurdle and uh, the knowledge is gained. And that's when we have treatment and vaccines to prevent it when it comes back around again. Yes, the hope that's on the other side. So I know this is a quick and brief chat um, and you've given so much information. I'm so thankful for your time. Any last words, comments, suggestions uh, for everyone out there, but especially for the people in Albany, Georgia? Yeah, um, I think for our state in general, I, um, I want the audience to realize that the Affordable Care Act was passed and states had the opportunity to expand Medicaid and have that um, covered by the federal government. Georgia is a state that did not agree to do that. Um, they did a partial expanding of Medicaid where there was requirements for working and blah, 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 which limits uh, underinsured people still from getting insurance. And I say that because if we learned anything from COVID-19 is that chronic disease exasperates uh, the, the severity of the disease. And so if people are uninsured and can't have care and can't take care of their chronic disease issues, if they get COVID-19, they're more likely to have severe illness and possibly die. So the importance of expanding Medicaid is so that those of us in the state who are underinsured or uninsured can remain healthy, go see a doctor and have healthcare coverage. Then the other part of that is that because so many people are being sick or uh, hospitalized due to COVID-19 and there is a limited amount of tests to diagnose adequate, accurately that it is COVID-19, um, my fear is that those people will be left with huge medical bills because Medicaid was never expanded. There's nothing to help them um, to catch um, for those hospital fees that are going to come after this settles down. So mm -hmm. I know the CARES Act is supposed to cover that, um, some of that, but if there aren't any tests where people were adequately diagnosed, then there's a loophole there where people probably won't be able to apply for that coverage. And that's a fear of mine. And so now I'm really advocating for our legislators to fully expand Medicaid for the state of Georgia. Awesome. And I just want to throw in for us real quick, too, one of the things that um, we can do in this time that I realized last week as well, while we're on a pause and reset for some of us that have, yeah. um, you know, time, you know, essential workers and things like that, people um, in the healthcare profession, thank you all that are still out there on the front lines helping us uh, beat uh, COVID-19, but there are virtual meetings. If you can attend your city council meetings, if you can write yeah. your legislators, if you can use this time, um, as you say, to advocate uh, for better health care yeah. from the things that we are experiencing with our friends, our families, people we know, coworkers, all of these things, that this may be a time for us during this pause and reset to find ways we can virtually yeah. um, get involved in these decisions that are made regarding our health care. Because once again, I'm thankful and I'm privileged to be employed and have health care, but there are many people in America right now who don't. So this is a perfect time, as you said, to use that to advocate and find out more. Yeah. So I appreciate, I appreciate the nuggets that you dropped in the food for thought and for giving us your time and sharing your personal experiences here. 
um, with us um, on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. Yeah, for everyone out there that is watching the video, uh, leave your comments, your questions, reach out to us. We want to hear from you um, as well where you live. So comment, like, subscribe, follow all of the things on social media. We're on Twitter at Building Desire, Facebook and Instagram at The Counter Narrative. Thank you again for joining us another week for our COVID-19 check-ins. And as always, be good to yourself and wash your hands. <laughs>